bases there and Taiwan and what's going to happen with all of that. And, and our own struggles, if you've had COVID or you know people who have, the own, just it can be sapping of energy. Your body just fights this virus. And, and so then just think, oh, you know, what do we do? Where do we? Where? So then you come to church, right? And, uh, and you, you have the bloke up the front or the, the lady up the front. And it, sometimes you can feel like, oh, I don't have, you know, and, and, and well, I mean, maybe you read the Bible yourself and you go, God wants to use me to change the world. I've got to pray and I've got to give and I've got to serve and I've got to tell people about Jesus. I've got to invite them to Alpha and I've got to do all these things. And, and I'm just like, oh, how on earth do I do that? And, how do you, and then how do you have the energy to be other person-centered when you're just fighting to cope yourself with everything that life's throwing at you? Parenting's like that. I mean, there's this innate, deep, biological drive to care for these little things. But boy, it's hard when you're exhausted so how do you get the energy to actually parent in an other person-centered way when you're busy and stretched and grieving and struggling yourself and all that stuff's going around you? How do you get... And then... Okay, so let's get... And then how do you get the energy if you're parenting and that's hard. It's hard when they're really little and it's hard when they're teenagers and it's hard when they're adults. Like, but it's also joyful, so don't get me wrong. Um, it's just... Draining of energy. So then, where do you find the energy to love your partner? Like that's like to really lay down your life on a daily basis for your partner. Yeah, that's hard. Right? Oh, oh. And then you've got to show up at work and put up with the thorns and thistles of life, like pushing back the chaos. And every person you work with has all the same stuff going on in their lives that you have in your life, and you're all pushing back chaos and dealing with stuff and juggling stuff, and then you show up at work and all of that's going on behind you. It's like you turn up at work and we've all got this massive thing on our backs, and now we've got to turn up and have energy to innovate and... Grow and serve and, I don't know, get paid, all that stuff. So, and then the question is, where does the energy to do all that come from? And, and how do we involve God in all of that? Right? Where's God? How, how do we involve God? And um, so here's the answer. Uh, and it's, this is a journey I've been on for the last few years, and it's come into great focus for me, and, um, and I've been alluding to it. But one of the things I've discovered over the last little while is the idea that, in, that the concept of energy and God as energy and God's energy as working in us and energizing us is a very significant biblical category that has been lost in our tradition in the Western church and therefore made our whole experience of God a little less comprehensible and a little less real and, and applicable and understandable. And it's very profound and very powerful when you reconceptualize and understand here's a major category of, of, of energy in the New Testament. Uh, now you might say to me, Hang on, Mark. I've been a Christian for 
in a certain number of years. I've been in good Bible teaching churches. I might even have studied some theology. I might have read a lot. I've never heard of this idea of God as energy, as a central category in the New Testament. You might go, hang on, that's a bit, you know, Mark, have you been spending too much time at nature's energy, getting your chakras realigned and absorbing the New Age vibe of the peninsula? And you might think that. It may not be true. I've been reading the New Testament, and I've been working with a fellow called Christian Schwartz, who is this amazing German theologian and a student of scripture and of life. He's the guy who's developed and spent 30 years working with churches around the world in this process of natural church development, natural community development, natural character development. And Christian has spent 10 years unpacking and studying this concept. And he's written, if you're interested in it, I can send you the link, a trilogy that is, runs to 900 pages without footnotes unpacking the biblical and historical and scientific and psychological and sociological and theological implications of this energy paradigm. Uh, so you go, oh, that's lovely. Well, here's the other thing I've been doing. I'm, in, I'm just coming to the end of a whole coaching process with Christian uh, over Zoom, thinking about how does this actually practically impact my life in what he in typical Germanic fashion calls the energy synchronization process. So synchronizing my cognitive system with the energy system so that how I think about the world and the energy within me and energy that God gives me are synchronized and work together so that I can be more fruitful and effective in the way that the New Testament envisages. Now, you might rightly say Hang on, Mark, I, the, the concept, the word energy and God is energy doesn't really appear in my New Testament. And you would be both right and wrong. You would be right if you are reading an English translation of the New Testament. If you were reading a Greek New Testament in the original language, you would discover that there are 34 explicit references to energy and energizing Energy, the word as a noun, adjective, and verb in the New Testament, 34. Clear, explicit. It's a central theological category in the New Testament. Uh, here's, a, here's something that is a, is a lot is written about, the concept of predestination. Do you know how many times the Greek word for predestination occurs in the New Testament? Six times. Here's another concept, freedom. We all agree that freedom is a central New Testament and Christian category. For, uh, people have written lots and lots about freedom in the Christian life, freedom from law, freedom, blah, blah, blah. Do you know how many times the word freedom or its cognates are used in the New Testament? 42 times. A ah, little more than energy, but not a lot. So why is it that energy is not present in our New Testament translations? And that's a good question. Um, and, uh, and if I'm losing you at any point, stick your hand up. And this is, I'm, should I? This is a little heavy, and you're having to engage your brains, and it's going to feel a little like a Greek lecture. Um, but here we go. So um, brace yourselves. Here is the Greek uh, for That's the Greek word for energy, energeia. Uh, and then there are 
that's the noun, and then there's adjectives and verbs. For those of you who studied English in Australia, uh, a noun is an object, is a thing. <laughs> a verb is a doing word, and an adjective modifies the thing, right? So just... <laughs> Maybe they're teaching you grammar now, but, you know. Okay, so in Agea, when it's, it's 30... So this is 34 times in the New Testament, right? And it's cognates. The original translations of the New Testament and the theologizing around this were, were actually done, funnily enough, what was the first language the New Testament was translated into? Can anyone think? Church history, think back. Latin, exactly. So it was translated into Latin. Oh, by the way, the, the phrase, the word energeia, was actually coined by Aristotle around 360 BC. He made up this new word to, to, to different to power, different to work, as, as a unique word. It came into the, lang the Greek language, was picked up and used by the New Testament writers. Uh, when uh, the early church fathers translated the Greek into Latin, Latin didn't have a it didn't have it. Tell me if I'm really boring you. I get very excited by new ideas. So Latin uh, doesn't have a word for energy. So the Latin translators translated this as um, actus or operatio. And then when this was then, then most of the English translations, so the King James Version, for example, which was the, the most popular translation, was, translate, was a translation based on what's called the Vulgate, the Vulgate was the Latin translation of the Greek that used words like actus and operatio for the Greek concept energy, didn't have that. And so the, the, the King James Version, which became our dominant Bible, still is around the world, translated those words as acts or work, or sometimes even power. There's a concept in theology called God as actus purus, so Augustine uh, coined this pure act, but actually because Augustine had, uh, and, uh, had no Greek, he entirely worked from Latin translations, actus purus is actually the Latin, if you go back to the Greek, for pure energy. So the central concept, God as actus purus, in fact, really couldn't be understood as God as pure energy. Now, you might say to me, isn't that interesting, Mark? I'm so glad I came along to hear this. Um, I, <laughs> uh, let me give you an example of what it looks like, of how this has worked. Uh, well, we'll go, to, we'll go to our text for today. Um, so this is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. And what you can see, this is what's called an interlinear Bible. So you've got the English above. And then they've, they've put the Greek words below it. Okay. Uh, I told you this was going to be fun. <laughs> okay. So this is the New International Version. And it says this. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So you go... That's the goal. We want to work, we want to teach, we want to admonish, we want everybody to be fully mature in Jesus Christ. And then he says, um, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the... Do you see the word there? With all the energy 
And you can see the, the root word here, energeion. Okay, that's energy. Uh, which Christ so powerfully, and you see then it says works here. Now, can anyone spot, even if you can't really read the Greek New Testament, Greek language, can you see that that is the same root word? That's actually the passive form of the verb. So, but the NIV translated works. And you go, there's no reason to translate it works. In fact, we're just lucky they put energy there because in some, many of the other translations, they don't even, they say, with, they, they contend with all the power. They, they even translated power rather than energy. So the beauty of this verse is that I strenuously contend, anogudzomenos, uh, with the energy that Christ so powerfully energizes, with which Christ energizes me. So it's not that Christ is working in me. It's actually different. I, I work with the energy with which Christ energizes me. Isn't that cool? Now, there's 34 other examples like this, all equally exciting. You are on the edges of your seat, I see. You are like, my life was empty until I knew the distinction between actus operatio, uh, energia, and energizing. You go, that's amazing, right? Okay, wow, ah, you're so excited. But it's powerful. So, and this isn't to say don't trust your English translations. It's just to say don't trust your English translation in this instance. So we've got to unpack this and show this because that's why Christian wrote a 900-page tome because it, this has not been explored in the Western church. In the Eastern church, Eastern Orthodox churches, who, of course, read what language, Greek, this concept of energy and the energies, the one energy that comes from God and the energies that are released in the world, this is a central concept in the Orthodox Church, in the Greek Church. So one of the great tragedies that has impoverished the world and certainly the Western Church is this fundamental divide that was formalized in 1057 AD that split the East and the Western Church. So we think we've got issues. The big issues are within the Roman Catholics and the Protestants or the conservative evangelicals and the progressives or the evangelicals and the Pentecostals or whatever it is. Those are really intra-family squabbles. The major division that has impoverished the church globally as the body of Christ is the split between East and West. And it's around language because language matters. And then it, it gives theological concepts uh, into our lives. Uh, like God energizes. <sighs> that's cool. I think that's really cool. So uh, I have a, uh, let me pause there. And, uh, and I'm going to give you a little picture, a very simple pictogram that uh, Schwartz has developed to show you, to, to illustrate this. But let me pause and say, are there any questions at this stage? Okay. Is that, is that further complicated by um, the Western, Western people being influenced post-pastoralism and, and post-biblical? So, Rolf's question is Is this further complicated by sort of the post-scientific revolution where we have the where our idea of energy is shaped by science? 
uh, actually, no. The beauty of this is it helps us understand what... So science has rediscovered this concept of energy, and we can therefore start... It, it actually is an incredibly useful concept to, to think together theology, Christianity, and the scientific understanding of the world. So, for example, uh, we know it's a basic principle in science that energy can't, cannot be created or destroyed, merely changed. You go, ha, ah, okay. Now imagine this. Where did the energy come from? Well, God is pre-existent energy, and God speaks. His word uh, creates. His word is, a, is an expression of energy, and that the form of that energy is, uh, is changed into everything. Just how in our own experience, energy can't be created or destroyed. It can be changed. So the, the pure, self-existent, energy of God, he chose to change that form of his energy into the form that we can live and experience. You go, ha, huh, that's pretty profound. Jack. Yes, that's a brilliant question. Is this just potential energy or is it actualized energy? Energy, uh, it's... Well, in one sense, in one sense, there's no such thing... Uh, let me, there's, there's a couple of dozen pages where Schwartz talks about this. Um, energy always energizes. Energy contains within itself its own effects. And so in one sense, there's no such thing as potential energy. There's energy that needs to be directed or formed or transformed into different areas. But um, it contains within itself its own effects, and it's actualized. Let me show you. That's, a, so that's an inadequate answer, but I'm just aware of the time. So we'll, we'll get back to this. So let me, let me show you a little picture. So this is how we think the way the world works post-scientific uh, revolution. Here's A, and A causes B. I do this, and it has this outcome, right? And, we're, and this, is, this is the visible and empirical uh, world that we experience. Uh, if, if you get sick... Uh, uh, a Dr. A applies uh, intervention on B, and B gets better, right? Uh, and that's how we tend to think of it. Now, on the schema, where is God in this? And what is God's responsibility, and what is my responsibility? I'll, and, and how does prayer work, and how does evil work? I'll give you an example. You uh, may be partnered with or connected to somebody who's an addict, Say B is an addict, and A is deeply concerned about them. How is A going to help B get free from their addiction? Let's think about it another way. Say A is you as a parent, B is your kid. Well, what are you going to do so that your kid flourishes and grows? Well, you're going you're to work, you're going to do a whole bunch of stuff, okay? But where's God in that? 
And how do you know what's right? And how do you, how do you continue to generate the energy to most effectively parent B? Ah, ah, excellent. So if you're a Christian, this is how we often think about it. So, okay, there's God. And, uh, and maybe we think, what, maybe we think God gets involved in our lives. Okay, so what, what really has to happen is I, I come to a position of faith and I pray and I pray and I pray so that God will fill me up and energize me so that I can go and make a difference in my kid's life, in my addict friend's life, in my workplace, in, a, in addressing poverty and injustice and whatever it is. Okay, and we think that's the way it works. Huh? That's, it's, it's sort of true, isn't it? Make me a channel of your peace. So I'm a channel of peace. Now, that's great, except it's exhausting. Like, how do I... Uh, and how does God work in the process as well as in the end? So here is uh, how we can think about it. God, God's energy flows here, and God energizes me here. This is what Colossians 1 says. But he doesn't just... God's energy is not just in me, is it? God is also energizing his energy, which you think back to even creation, because God's energy is in everything. All energy proceeds from God. So the process itself of parenting, of speaking, of intervening with an addict, of loving, of serving, even that process is a process in which God is, can be and is energizing that process. And you go, ha, ah, but then what about B? Well, guess what? God is at work even directly in B. You and I can never energize anyone else. What we can do is, is receive God's energy, be energized by him, and then direct that energy in us and pray that God will use and energize the process that's involved to then release his energy into be. It's all from God. So let's think about a medical intervention. Um, you have somebody in your life who's ill. Let's pick something. And you pray for them to be healed. Now, that's a really good thing. We pray for healing here. Uh, not as much as we should, but we're going to ramp that up again post-COVID. And we're going we're to start doing prayer ministry down here. We pray for someone. So, so maybe you've got a friend who's having an operation this week, and you pray for them. You say, Lord, heal them. Uh, and then they go, to see, uh, they go into the operating theater. How is God healing them in the operating theater? Well, very often we separate those two. We go, well, now that's science. And that's medicine, and then there's God healing. And you go, no, 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 that's, a, that's, a, that's an inadequate way to think about it. Because you pray, your prayers, God energizes you to pray for your friend. That's it. You're harnessing that energy from God in prayer. And then God is going to work in the process, isn't he? So the process of cutting open and... Like all of that. And then, and then the process of stitching it up. And then, in a way that we don't really understand, the process of knitting everything back together and healing and scarring and all of that stuff. And then God's going to be actually working directly in the recipient of the, of the uh, surgical intervention. 
It's all God. It's, it's all God. Now, sometimes God doesn't need to use the intervention of doctors. And you pray, and God heals. And what he uses is the intervention of you laying on hands or anointing someone with oil. Those are New Testament examples, right? That's great. And maybe sometimes the process God uses to heal someone in James is they confess their sin. You know, like sin and evil have a connection with us. So sometimes it's, it's interesting, isn't it? There's a spiritual connection with you. But, but, you know, when God heals through a surgeon or through chemo, it's still God. This is the... This is the level of the invisible. We don't see energy in this form, do we? I mean, in the same way, if you think about it, I don't see light directly, do I? I see its effects. But when I look through, <laughs> like it's a clear, I'm not seeing light rays coming down. I'm seeing the effects of it making you all look like you've got bright, shiny, happy faces. That's how energy works. Now, that's the introduction. I have a, a very close friend who's one of uh, Australia's leading experimental particle physicists. And I'm thinking, just to give you a heads up, that uh, in a little while we might, once Bruce has read all this and got his head around it, we might do a bit to, to integrate the science and the physics around this energy paradigm. Uh, I might invite him to come along and spend an evening with us just um, unpacking quantum theory and string theory and how you integrate what the current understanding of the subatomic world is with a biblical and energy paradigm. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? At least for like two people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, it, but it also, I found this paradigm very, I, I, what initially started me on this journey was reading a philosopher, Dallas Willard, who, who uses this. He identified this independently of uh, Schwartz because it's in the Bible. And you find a great connection in our context. Um, there is a great, uh, there's a great deal of interest around here in energy healing, the sort of the new age, esoteric, uh, you know, stuff that I like to make fun of gently, um, <laughs> mostly because I like to joke about most things. But, but, you know, they're onto something. And there's a great point of connection here. Uh, and in terms of connection, you see what this leads us to is a way of understanding the work of God uh, in all of reality. So when, you, when, when someone... Um, when someone puts crystals over you or cups, does cupping on you, I mean, there is, or tells you you're, yeah, they, like, you do a double, you do a, a double blind clinical trial on that stuff and it, it's hocus pocus, isn't it? Just doesn't work. Like, I'm going to put a rock on you and that's going to change you. Well, except, guess what? There's a gracious, wonderful God whose energy is at work in our lives all the time and who heals us. And maybe some of this is the placebo effect that accounts for 20% of any improvements anyway. And you go, huh, isn't this an interesting way to think? Now, I'm not suggesting we start 
crystal healing and cupping and that sort of stuff as a regular practice in our church. And I'm not a medical professional and don't take anything I say about your health as anything other than me coming up with examples off the top of my head to illustrate a point. But it's interesting, isn't it, to then think about, well, so in that new age world, there's, a, there's an understanding and they're getting part of it. In the scientific world, there's an understanding and a part of it. But actually, this concept biblically says it makes sense. We have in the Bible a way to make sense of all of this. Energy is, uh, this is, as it were, the transcendent dimension of God and understanding how, or uh, what Schwartz says, transpersonal reality of God. But of course, what Christianity does is it says that transpersonal, transcendent energy is then in the same way that God spoke and formed all of reality from his word, which is taking on a form of energy, all of God's energy is spoken a second time in history and manifest and wrapped up and incarnated in the perfect example of humanity in, in Jesus. So then you go actually down here, you go who's working at the empirical layer at the personal layer, well, it's Jesus. So what you see in Jesus is God's energy changed from pure energy, unembodied energy, into perfect personal energy. God's pure energy actually reordered into perfect humanity. Yeah. Huh, that's really fascinating, isn't it? So unlike, so every other religion... Uh, other understanding of the world can grasp at, at the energy, the transcendent stuff. And what we say as Christians to other religions and to the world is, hey, what, where you've grasped or experienced God's energy, because you don't have to be a believer to experience God's energy. I mean, we all experience God's energy. And in, as, as the book of Acts says, this is speaking to pagans, this is the God in whom we live and move and have our being. Like, that's extraordinary. Like, we are all, at one level, manifestations, reordering new forms of God's energy, whether you're Christian or not. But what we say as Christians is you say, if you want to see what it's all about and a perfect version of it, and how you can actually connect uh, and receive and direct God's energy, uh, you do that through Jesus. And we'll unpack in future talks uh, how then you deal with sin and evil in this paradigm, which is very interesting because it's all about where, what energy are you receiving and how are you directing and using it. Like So sin can really be understood as misdirected energy. Um, you know... Uh, so sin is misdirected energy, then it starts to liberate you to go, actually, you can redirect your energy and, and don't sin. That's pretty cool. We should just all do that. But how do you do that, you ask? Well, wait and see. Come back. Uh, so we go back to Colossians. And you see here it says, I strenuously contend. Now, just because we've got the Greek up, uh, you won't know this, but this word here, this little phrase here, um, is a fascinating little word. Agonizomenos, agon, 
what, what word comes from that Greek word agon? Agony. So he says, he says, I strenuously contend with agony. I agonize. Because what we can think, and this is where the, the New Age stuff comes in, we can think that all of this energy working with God means life is going to be easy and peaceful and calm. And you're always going to be waking up feeling refreshed. <laughs> and then you read this and you go, no, 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 no. It's, he, it's agony, like, like living in a world of evil and injustice and brokenness and sin and disappointment and misdirected energy left, right and center. Like, like being used by God and being energized by God is agony. Like it's hard. I mean, you know that if you've ever, like, you, it's, so Christianity is not an invitation to live a life that is just ah, a life of personal peace and affluence where I just serenely disengage from all the troubles of life and have this wonderful experience of God that allows me to float tranquilly over all these lesser troubles. Because the model of Christianity is God's serene transpersonal energy manifest in the person of Jesus who descended into the depths of agony to in the agony of his own life and death God himself is energizing Jesus and then re redirecting and releasing energy into the world to heal the world and he calls us to that same path and pattern so Paul says we agonize, but we don't agonize fruitlessly. We agonize with the energy of Christ as he energizes us so you can keep going. The energy that God gives you, the energizing that he puts in, that he gives to you and me, is, occurs in the context of agony as you fundamentally direct that energy in love. The processes of love and service of the other. That's when, if you, want to, if you want to receive God's energy and you want to direct that energy and you want to work with God, you know that if you set out to love others, then God is energizing you. God will energize the love processes, however they might look. And then God will work to energize the recipients of that love. And you talk to him about it all the time, and you involve him in it. If you set out to destroy someone, I'll leave this as a thought. 2 Thessalonians says, using the same word, you will be energized by Satan, and you will use that energy for evil. So you can, the, the energy language is used of spiritual, of, of Satan, and it can be directed towards evil. There's a thought. So, I'm very energized by new ideas. I'm very energized by teaching you these things. But the fruit in your life, and God willing, this process of learning that we're in is something that God is energizing as well. But now it's up to you to to receive from God what he wants to do in you. 
now and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. So how do you receive the energizing of Christ in your life? Now, that's an interesting question, isn't it? How do you actually receive that practically? How do you experience it? Well, I'll give you a little example. Um, someone, does someone want to share with me what was something they said in your discussion groups when you said what energizes you? What did you come up with? Did someone just yell out what energizes you? Relationships, Relationships energize you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, what sort of relationships? With people who want to destroy you? Yeah. And in a digital age where we can get much satisfaction instantly, um, what we crave is actual person-to-person connection. Now, yeah. that might not always work out well, yeah. but there's always something in it for you. Yeah, beautiful. So, uh, just repeating, what energises us is relationships, and, and relationships in church, face-to-face, not just mediated by a screen, right? You go, okay, that's energising you. Now, that's just another way of saying, so here's what you, when you receive energy from relationships, who's actually energizing you? Christ. He's energizing you. How many of you are energized by listening to music? Who's energizing you when you listen to music? God. How many of you are energized by long walks on the beach and red wine and romance comedies? No. <laughs> well, who's, who's, it's God. How many, who are you, how many of you are energized when you read the Bible? I see one or two or three or four. Who's energizing you when you read the Bible? It's God. You see, that's, so you... Find that there are lots of different ways that we we can understand that God is at work to energize us. Rolf, was that a in this discussion? Is the only source of energy God? And what happens in your life if you are someone who pushes God out of your life? Is the only source of energy in the world God? What happens if you push God out of your life? I think God well the psalmist says God makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. So I think God, all, all life comes from God. And he continues to sustain our life at the transcendent level in the hope that we will open ourselves up to a personal connection with him through Jesus that will actually fulfill that and, and make that connection inseparable. My view about death outside of Christ is that is the if you if you resist God's energy and you resist the energy that comes to you in all sorts of ways and you never come to Jesus ultimately you'll be disconnected from all forms of energy at your death so um, I think that's the obvious that's where it goes and there are some theological implications around that uh, around being disconnected can you cease to exist. So I think after death comes judgment, and after judgment comes uh, a ceasing to exist. I'm in a, what is, yeah. 
Uh, and then those who have been connected into God's energy through, uh, through opening themselves up to the gift of that final full healing and reconciliation in Jesus, I think we go on to live forever connected to God. But that is a... So, there we go. Annihilationism is the theological position I've just advocated, as opposed to the... God can do anything. But in the paradigm of power energy, yep. no energy can be lost. So if a non-Christian dies, they're annihilated. Correct. But the, their physical presence then becomes matter, and matter still has energy. Uh, I don't think there's any matter left. I think it's... Uh, yeah, I'm just aware we're out of time. It raises lots of interesting questions, and I hope it gets you thinking a lot. Um, but more than that, I hope it gives you a bit of a vision for how you can work with God and receive his energy in your day-to-day -day life tomorrow and when you love your partners and parent your kids. And, uh, and I will post on Circle. If you're not on Circle, you're not going to get this. You need to be on Circle. I will post on Circle a list of the other 34 occurrences of this in the New Testament. So don't take my, well, do take my word for it. Um, but, but also go and read the references and a link to Christian Schwartz's book. And, uh, and we'll see where we go from there. Um, we might have a reading group if anyone wants to read a 900-page uh, work on energy. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you that you love us and you are here with us. And thank you that your energy has made available in, the, in Jesus and in the work of your Holy Spirit. So I pray for each of us in this room that you will energize us with the energy of Christ so that we can love in the way of Christ and that, you, we, we, and that we'll be attentive to the ways you are already at work in the world so that we can work with you to help people connect with you and find life in you. Uh, so um, just be with us, Lord. Uh, amen. amen. We're going to sing a song and then we're going to. No one mentioned coffee as a source of energizing? Oh, you did? Yeah, man. Or addiction. <laughs>